you have to say, you know, you did the best you could at that point. You did everything you could. You can't rethink it. You can't go back. Always know that you love this person. You gave up part of your life for this person. And that in itself, whether you made the wrong or the right decision, doesn't matter. That in itself is such a show of love. I'm your host, Valerie Borgman. And this week, I'm so excited to welcome Kim Plumridge. Kim shares her caregiving journey, and we're also talking about her award-winning short film, My Story of Alzheimer's Disease, highlighting a diverse group of families and their journeys. Kim is a woman who holds many titles, actor, director, producer, teacher, and yes, caregiver. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Senior Living, a podcast for sons, daughters, grandkids, and spouses who suddenly find themselves tangled in the search for senior living and care. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and check out our doable download in today's show notes for a printable summary of the show and a bonus tip from our guest. You're listening to our doable tips, short answers to your questions. Don't see your question listed? Send us a note. Then don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an answer. So do you want to jump right in and just, and literally we can start wherever you want to start on your caregiving journey and just like where it all began. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where it all began all those years ago. Yeah. You know, I had just started teaching a little bit and I was working as a, a recruiter. I fell into that, you know, as actors, you always have to have another job somewhere. I just kind of fell into it years ago. So I was doing that. And, um, and then my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And um, it was just a, a crushing blow, as it always is for families. And she was, I think she was in her late 60s back then. Yeah, she was in her late 60s. And I was in my early 40s. And I always tell people that even though I was in my early 40s, going through this journey with my mother, that is when I grew up. That is when I truly grew up. You know, because I saw things and experienced things that were just so challenging and difficult. And when you see someone that you have always looked to as a source of security and comfort, you know, and for answers start to change like that in that way that Alzheimer's patients change, you know, uh, it was devastating. Yeah. I mean, in, in the beginning, my mother's younger sister and her husband took care of my mom. She went to live with them, but before too long, you know, there was a few times where she got out of their house and started wandering she turned their heat up to like way up. You could blow the house up, but you know, it was just really, they really couldn't care for her anymore. And so we had to make the decision to place her in a facility. And, you know, I wish I had known about an organization like yours because it was very hard to navigate that for me. My aunt, my mother's sister was a nurse, so she knew a lot more about it than I did, but we had very limited options for her. From a financial perspective? Yeah. Yeah. We don't have a lot of money. And I say this in the film, you know, when I talk about having to place my mother in a facility that when you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of choices. That's the way it is. Yeah. It was back then. It might be changing now. I don't know. This is in the early, this is 2002. It, it actually hasn't changed that much. Yeah. It, it really, there are still families that struggle with that. And in each state is very different Yeah. with how that works. But, and I, and I want to um, really quickly, you, you mentioned film. And so we're definitely going to have a link to that. You directed and produced a documentary yeah. about Alzheimer's caregiving. So we'll put that information in show notes for yeah, sure. Yeah. The, well, yeah, we'll talk more about that. The, I co-directed it and produced it. I have my own production company called My Story Films. And the film is my story of Alzheimer's disease. 
and it has five diverse caregivers and a, a compassionate doctor and these testimonials. And what's really cool about the film is that we, everyone's story, there are commonalities, but everyone's story has similarities. I mean, it's different in a little way, in little ways as well. That's something that I always say about Alzheimer's. Not only is it brutal, but it's also completely individual because we're individual people. Exactly. And so the way it presents exactly. itself is, can you yeah. know, there yeah. are similarities, but it can be so different as so well. Different. It depends on so many things. It depends on the family dynamics. It depends on socioeconomic status. It depends on cultural norms for different families. And everyone is a, is a little different. Yeah. And one of the things we also deal with the, in the film, how do you move on? When is the caregiver journey really over? And how do you move on when the person has passed? And we do talk about that in the film. So the film, I think, is not only educational, but I think that it's also very inspirational. Yeah, we, we just had an episode about that too. And one of the reasons I think that's so important to take a look at is that we lose so much of ourselves in that caregiving journey. We do. And it's important to know that it, that's going to be hard when you when you give up some of that. We do. We talk yeah. about this. We do talk about this in, in the film. It's it's yeah, it's very, very challenging. And you know, one of the, the inspiration for the film is my mother and how incredibly compassionate and fun she was. She was just the life of the party. She was everyone's favorite aunt. She was witty, she was smart. She was just full of life. And you know, just going back to her being so compassionate during her journey with Alzheimer's, she didn't get all that compassion back. And that was very difficult. And this was, you know, one of the th ways that this, I can talk about this is that people would say these things to me, you know, your mother's not really sick. You know, there's nothing wrong with her. She's not suffering. Just be happy she doesn't have cancer. Wow. She's happy. These are these comments were so. I get very emotional talking about it back then, and I, I, I did, and I do now, because they're just wrong, you know. And I thought at the time, where are they getting this from? And I realized that if you looked and watched TV and film back then, Alzheimer's patients were depicted as the goofy grandpa or the silly grandma who ran around in her underwear, and we all laughed. Alzheimer's patients were a joke. They were a joke in the media. And then, you know, I remember seeing this one commercial for some Alzheimer's product and it was so sanitized. The Alzheimer's patient was beautifully made up and hair perfect and beautifully dressed, serenely smiling. And the person who was playing the caregiver, the family caregiver was also beautifully, immaculately dressed, serenely smiling. And I remember looking at these two and saying, who are these people? I have never seen anyone with Alzheimer's or any Alzheimer's caregivers that look like these people and between my mother. Yeah. And my mother and my, my father also had Alzheimer's disease between the two of them. I saw a lot of people with Alzheimer's disease, never saw that. So <laughs> I, you know, yeah. So I said, said to myself, well, if, if the media can be used to present an inaccurate picture, I can use the media to present a more accurate picture, to, to have an honest picture, to have a raw picture. I mean, some of the testimonials in the film are pretty raw you know, what we talk about and how we talk about grief. And then maybe those comments can be changed from, uh, you know, your mother's not really sick, she's not suffering to comments such as, oh my God, I'm so sorry for your family. What can I do to help you? How can I understand this more? That's the purpose of the film really is to, is to teach compassion, which is what I do, what I hoped I did as an actor and what I do as a teacher. And I thought, well, let's, let's do that with this film. And the feedback on it so far is that people are saying, you know, oh my God, I finally get it. The people who have seen it 
people of all ages have said to me, even people who are older, who you would assume would know more about it, have said to me, I had no idea it was that serious. I had no idea that Alzheimer's was that devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that with what we do in working with families, we see this sometimes too with those that are in different stages of the journey. Yes. Yes. So there are, there are a couple of sides to it. There are either the families that think that no one can care for their loved one because it's so bad and it's so terrible. Or there's that other side where their mom or dad is not quite so advanced in the disease. And so we go to tour a memory care and they're like, whoa, 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 that's not my mom because they're seeing folks that are further along in the disease. And so, yeah, I think, I think it is, you know, that's why it's so important what you did and in terms of sharing more than one, you know, more than your story. And and taking yeah, a look at, yeah. at more than one person to try to change the narrative. I mean, it, there's just, it yeah. is funny to me that we're, it seems like there's more information out there, but yet I run into so many families who still don't realize. <laughs> so it, there's a lot of work yeah. to be done, I think. And, yes. and so going back to your story with your mom, when was that first moment where your family started to have a conversation behind the scenes, <laughs> like something's yeah. going on? Yeah. Well, my mom and my family live in Syracuse and I'm in New York City. I'm right outside of New York City in Westchester. And so, and also, you know, um, my husband has MS. Oh so, gosh. you know, yeah, it's got a lot of, lot of stuff going on. So I remember that, you know, I would call her almost every day and I didn't really notice anything on the phone, but then her sister called me and said that she called her one time and couldn't get a hold of her. And then finally, late at night, and my mother finally answered the phone and she said, oh, I'm, I was getting dressed because I have to go to work now. And it was 10 o'clock at night. And my aunt was like, no, it's, it's nighttime. You know, you don't go to work at nighttime. And she, she talked my mother into staying home. And then my aunt said that she would go over to my mother's house and there was like her apartment. There was no food in her apartment. She hadn't opened any of her mail, little telltale signs. And my mother would not go to the doctor. She got very mad at anyone who suggested that she goes to God, nothing wrong with me. And I noticed too, she got very agitated and very angry. And that was not my mother. That was not her. And finally, I said to her, do you not want to recognize your grandchildren? Is that what you want? Because if you don't go to the doctor, that's going to happen pretty quickly. And she loved those grandkids. And that's what made her go. And she finally went, she had the tests and she got the diagnosis. And, and then it was just thinking about, it was, de- all, we were all brokenhearted and, and, and thinking about what, what to do. I took over all of her legal and financial affairs, everything that was really my job. And I would try to go up to Syracuse every other month or maybe every two months to check in with her. And I remember the first time I went to see her after the diagnosis, she was, she was staying with my aunt at the time. And I walked in the door and she, had, she looked at me, she had no idea who I was. And it had only been a year since I saw her in person. And she looked at me and she said, I don't know you. And I, I remember looking at my aunt. And so I just sat there and then all of a sudden she went, oh, Kimmy. She knew me all of a sudden, but it was so, it, it's just, you feel, it's such a, a, a feeling of, um, panic in your bones. And then as she lived with them, you know, she was getting out a lot. There were a lot of things happening. It was harder to take care of her. And so then we had to find some place for her. And there were limited places 
limited. And having to navigate all of that stuff, the whole paperwork and all that kind of stuff, along with the emotional current of this was so difficult for me. And I can't really say too much about the places that she was in. I don't want to go, go there. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but at one point, you know, she began to get aggressive. And so then we did place her in a very good nursing home I found in Syracuse. I have to say they, they were very good. I'm not saying anybody else was bad, but they were very good. And that's where she lived until the end of her life. Just going up there and seeing her deteriorate. At the end of her life, she was having a moment. She was just, um, you know, she was just lying in a bed and she couldn't move. And um, her body was all rigid. And I just felt so bad for her, you know, because um, that's not the life that she wanted. And you know, we have to ask you, you know, as caregivers, we have to answer those questions. What did the person want? And I remember when I was very young, I think it was 14. And I remember there was this famous story about this woman who was in a coma and her, I think her parents wanted to take her off life. I don't remember if the parents or the government wanted to take her off, whatever happened, but it was a terrible story and it was on the news all the time in the 70s. And my mother said to me, I remember her looking at me and saying, don't do that to me. I will never forget that. I don't want to live like that with wires and tubes in me. Please don't do that to me. And I said, okay, I won't. So that's remembering that, that she had the peace of mind back then, years ago, to say that to me. So I could say to my brother and sister, well, this is what she said to me when I was 14. And so or she had a DNR. And along the way, too, we did find a wonderful elder care lawyer, wonderful person in Syracuse who was so good with me and my mom and so good with helping me get through that. My aunt was helping me get through all of these things. But my mother and I were so close, so close. I really felt that it was up to me to really understand and execute what she wanted done. You know, and that's that's a lot to think about. And to this day, I always think, well, does she really want that? Or I know she said that at one point, but you know, you can't do that to yourself. You can't. You have to say, you know, you did the best you could at that point. You did everything you could. And I think the caregivers have to realize too that you do the you do everything you can and to not regret your decisions because in the moment it was the right decision at that time. You can't rethink it, you can't go back. Always know that you know you took care of this person. You love this person. You gave up part of your life for this person. And that in itself, whether you made the wrong or the right decision, doesn't matter. That in itself is such a, a show of love. I have heard this from families before that, especially with Alzheimer's, but not just Alzheimer's, where they don't want to live a specific way. Yeah. You know, they don't want to be that person that can't move and has to be turned every two hours. And what kind of quality of life is that? And I know that, you know, every state is different. In Washington state, we do have a death with dignity act for certain situations, but it does not cover dementia and Alzheimer's. And we'll put a link uh, with some more information in show notes. Do you want to talk? Yeah, no, okay. it, it's, yeah. I can talk about it. I can definitely talk about it. Uh, it's something I've had to to think about, not only for my mother, but for a few other people as well. So, you know, I know in my heart, she would not want to live like that. I know that. But I certainly do not judge people who decide to keep their parents alive. I do not judge them. That is your person. Again, it's very personal. You do what you think is right for you and your and your loved one. It was interesting when I had to one of the other things people say to me when I place my mother in, in facilities, people would say, I would never, 
ever do that to my mother. And it was so hurtful. I mean, I, I totally respect people who have the resources to keep their loved one at home. I wish I could have, you know, we just didn't have it. So why can't you respect my decision to give her the best care I can in this situation? I don't know why people, I think it's one of the meanest things that people can say, and they still say it. And it really needs to yeah, be called out. Absolutely. Um, because it's just heartbreaking enough to have to make that decision and then to have to people come in and make comments about it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. None of these decisions are easy. No. And at the same time, you know, you you touched on grief earlier and we haven't really talked about that part of it, but it, you're grieving this entire time because you're slowly losing your mom. Yeah. And yeah. with your dad, which I, which I know we haven't talked about as well, but- and so you're going through all of this grief. So to have people comment on our lives in any way when they don't know, <laughs> you know, what's really, what it's really like, if yes. they knew what it was really like. And, and so, yes, I, I think we see it not just with, you know, friends or outsiders, but also even within families. Definitely within families. I've heard those stories too. I've heard those stories too. It's, it's very, very draining. And, you know, one of the things that we go through is Alzheimer's caregivers is this anticipatory grief because you know, it's coming. You don't know when it's coming. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10 years from now. You know, it's coming and every day. It's like one long panic attack. You're every day. It's with you. You can't get away from it. It never goes away until the person passes. And then there's a different kind of grief that takes over. But you know, one thing that I just want to say about that the end of the person's life is not really the end of your journey as a caregiver. I think part of grief is moving forward. And I think one way that you can do that is to keep your loved one's energy or life or spirit alive in the world, you know, be the keeper of their flame, whatever they love doing. You do that, right? You know, my mom was a lot of fun and she was very compassionate. So every week when I teach my acting class, I give them a couple of hours of fun where we learn compassion, right? So I celebrate her that way, you know, if I ever have an opportunity to help somebody like an old person the other day in the grocery store, this older woman couldn't lift her bag. I packed all her bags up for her. I mean, when I have that opportunity, I celebrate my mother. She's here. Her spirit is here. I know that people say, you know, at the end of that journey, it's so devastating. You feel almost, you know, you're so drained. You don't know what to do. I think that's one way to help you to move forward. I always think, you know, to do that, if I can say anything that's uplifting or inspiring today, I, I would say that. I love that. I absolutely love that. One of the things that we always ask our guests is if they have a doable tip, just one tip for families that are going through this, what would that tip be from you? Well, I think it's very important to find someplace where you can express what you're feeling. Whether that's a support group, whether that's a, a private counselor, whether it's a really close friend, someplace, you know, even in close families, there are moments where you just need to talk to somebody outside of it. Do you know, you just need to get away from it and outside of it. I really encourage people to do that, to do that, do that for yourself. It will make such a difference. And also one other tip, if I can throw another tip in there. Um, <laughs> If you can find moments of light in the darkness, if you can find something that your loved one did that made you laugh, right? Or a beautiful afternoon where you sat with them and you watched a movie or you took a walk, hold on to that memory, embrace that memory, hold on to it. It will help you later on. You know, I don't laugh at my mother 
But my mother was so full of fun. I know that she would laugh at some of the things that she did when she had Alzheimer's that were cute, not like haha making fun of her, but cute things, funny things. <laughs> I remember I went to visit at one of the facilities and they were having cookies. Everyone was having cookies, right? So my mother ate her cookies and then she was going around eating everyone else's cookies. And I couldn't stop her. I'm like, Mom, stop it. She said, no, I can. And she just, <laughs> and I think she would like me to have that memory of her. She would like mm. that. And I'm not, you know, it's, it's different than, than, than being a joke in a movie. It's not that. It's, it's about some funny memory that I know she would laugh at, at herself, you know. So you have to look at those kinds of moments as well. Today's episode is brought to you by ClearPath Senior Living Solutions. ClearPath helps families find assisted living, memory care, and other resources. Find our contact information in today's show notes. Check out this episode's doable download in show notes for details, including industry terms and definitions we discussed, as well as a bonus tip from our guest. Have questions or your own tips to share? Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, make it doable. 